The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What would it take for you to recruit someone to do something really uncomfortable? I mean, you have like a, maybe it's a chore in your house or a project at work and you just know nobody would want to do this. Uh, What would it take for someone to recruit you to do something that like nobody wants to do, like like in my house, um, when there's a plunger needed, like I'm the only one. And, And now I had to literally buy an auger. That's how much we've had to use plungers. They don't even work anymore. And now I got this auger thing. It's disgusting. And part of the reason why is because every once in a while when I go in there to plunge, uh, there are socks in there. There are matchbox cars in there because our two-year-old thinks it's really funny that when his brothers are going to the bathroom, he chucks stuff in there. It's disgusting. And I... And like, you just walk in, you go, yeah, somebody's gonna have to reach their hand in there. And there's, I'm the somebody. So how how do you recruit someone? How do you ask them like, hey, I have a project for you. Um, So like, and what would it take, right? What would it take to motivate you to do things that are really, really uncomfortable? In in 1911, uh, Roland Amundsen, was, it was a kind of a race, but he made it to the South Pole first. First person to lead a team or anybody to make it to the South Pole. Not only did he make it to the South Pole, but he made it out alive, unlike his counterpart that they were racing. So there was another guy, uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton, who also wanted to do something for the first time in Antarctica. And so he decided uh, to navigate, it's called like the Trans-Antarctic uh, Journey. Basically from one side of Antarctica to the other side, never been done before. And so in, uh, his goal was that in 1913, he was gonna lead an expedition from one side to the other. And so how do you recruit people to like, you're probably gonna die. And, and so here's what he did. In, uh, he lived in England, and so he took an ad out in the London paper, and here, here's the ad. Well, I'll, I'll read it with you. Uh, you can read it along me, but uh, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. Now, some of you wives... Things are going really poorly, and you're like, honey, (laughs) I got a trip for you. (laughs) But, uh, like, if you have a marketing degree, this is not exactly how you think you should market this trip. You know what happened? Within days, he got 5,000 applications. He only needed 28 men. He got 5,000 applications. He was swamped with volunteers, people wanting to go on this trip. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, there's more to life than just being entertained, comfortably numb. 
and just going through the motions. I'm convinced that there's something inside of every one of us that when we hear something just a little risky, just a little dangerous, it's like, yeah, you're probably gonna die. You're like, sign me up. And And I think we're all waiting for like this moment where we recognize that life is more than just getting by. Life is more than just surviving and fighting to get ahead and kind of navigating the rat race. It's like we were made for more and we want more. We wanna know that what we're doing matters. In fact, we wanna make a difference. What is it in you that feels unsettled? That, that like you're going through the motions, you're using, you're using pleasure and comfort to numb this nagging feeling that life was meant for more. That like life was made for something significant. I don't mean you have to sign up to go up to Antarctica and almost die. They did it by the way, in case you're wondering, successfully very dangerously. I read the story. I was like, wow, like they almost didn't make it, but they, they did. Um, but I think inside of every one of us, there is this pull to more, to meaning, to making a difference. During a time in the nation of Israel, when there was systemic corruption, the priests were corrupt meaning the religion of the nation was corrupted. The politics was corrupted. The king and queen and all their leaders were corrupt. It was almost like both sides were corrupt. Everybody was corrupt. Everybody was cheating. And uh, the, the king and queen were, le- in fact, multiple generations of kings and queens had led the nation away from long established morals. The way that people had lived for generations, they just threw it aside and said, yeah, we don't wanna live like that anymore. You can just do whatever you want. Whatever, if it feels good, do it. And the nation began to just fall into corruption and perversion. The king and queen, they were abusing their power. I know, I know you can't relate to any of this, but just imagine for a moment living in a country where it just felt like that. And then um, God raised up a, a leader, a, a it called him a prophet, someone who would speak for God on behalf of God. And through this prophet, Elijah, God did amazing miracles to demonstrate to the people that God is still alive. There is still a God in Israel. And as the story goes, the life of Elijah, he does amazing miracles. And there's this one really kind of like climactic season where uh, it had been, there had been a, a years of drought. Elijah prays and there's, you know, rain comes, you know, and kind of like there's these multiple miracles. Before that, there's this big showdown. Elijah invites all of these priests from these pagan religions to come. And he's like, prove that your God is God and I'll prove that my God is God. And, and so they have like this battle of the gods. And as you can imagine, the pagan gods, their God didn't do anything. And so um, finally, Elijah prays and they offer sacrifice and he prays, God, would you send fire from heaven? And fire falls from heaven and burns up the sacrifice. And then Elijah leads a battle where they defeat all these evil enemy leaders. 
And Elijah is thinking, this is going to lead to a huge revival. I mean, God has caused fire to fall from heaven. They've defeated these enemies. They've defeated this horrible evil of, of this false religion in their nation. Certainly the king and queen are going to repent and the whole nation will experience revival. Unfortunately, that's not what happens. Instead, the queen says, I'm gonna, this guy, Elijah, he killed the prophets. Well, I'm going to kill him. And so there's no revival. And so Elijah's heartbroken. So he runs for his life and he kind of starts sulking and complaining. And the story is found in one of the historical books that's included in the Bible. It's a book of history around the nation of Israel. And so I'm going to jump in to 1 Kings, the, the first book of the Kings, chapter 19, starting in verse 14. Uh, God is questioning Elijah. And Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And you can just see he's like, he's not just whining. It's more than that. He's just depressed. It's like he, he lived passionately for God. He's like, for what? Nobody even wants this. No one wants you, God. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the de desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah, to succeed you as a prophet. It's interesting. Like, God doesn't even, like, give in to his whining. He says, you know what you're going to do? Get up, and you're going to start raising up successors. See, here's the deal. Uh, to lead a revival, to lead a transformation, to make a difference. It, the only way you're going to make a difference is if your life is bigger than you. If what you're doing will outlast you, if you're part of something that's bigger than you. And what God is telling him is, look, you're part of something that's bigger than you. It's going to take longer than your lifetime for revival to sweep a nation and maybe the globe. It's, it's bigger than just your life and your livelihood. It's bigger than just your name and your reputation. It's about my name and my reputation. And so Elijah goes and finds this guy, Elisha. And, and so let's just keep going. We're going to read a little bit more of the story. Um, here we go. Elijah, Elisha, then left his ox. I'm sorry, let me, let me explain a little bit here. Uh, so Elijah goes and says to him, um, hey, I'm going to invite you to become a prophet. <laughs> Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. I mean, what have I done to you? So it's like this, it's like this moment where he's like, hey, Elisha, I'm going to invite you into, you know, like months of darkness and endless dangers and you'll probably die. I'm going to invite you into this really difficult way of living where you're probably going to cry yourself to sleep a lot of nights. It's going to be really hard. And um, what it is, is it's an invitation for Elijah to move from living for himself. Elijah had a great job. And when, they, when he finds him, it says that he is leading the 12th yoke of oxen. So he's got a whole crew of farmers. He, he's running a family farming business. And in that time, that was incredibly lucrative. Elisha is probably a well-to-do business leader. And Elijah comes and says, I, I want you to give up everything. Come and follow me. And you're going to become a prophet of God. And so it's this shift from, are you willing to leave the comfort 
and safe living behind? And are you willing to do something that makes a difference? And that's the invitation that we get, right? Like this story isn't just about Elijah and Elisha. It's in there for all of us. And that means that we are invited by God. We're inviting God to do more than before. You are being invited to join in a story where God wants to do more than before. Whatever God has done before, and some of you, you have amazing experiences in church. Some of you have never been to church before, but some of you, you've got, you have memories of what God has done, or you've heard stories of what God has done. And, and the challenge from this story is that God is always inviting us to allow him to do more than he's ever done before. But in order for that to happen, it's gonna require us to leave comfort and step into courageous living. In fact, that's courage, right? There's a quick quote from Ambrose Redmond. Um, courage is not the absence of fear, but the judgment that something else is more important than fear, right? Like, it doesn't mean that I'm not afraid. It doesn't mean that I'm not intimidated. Uh, courage is saying there is something more important than fear that I've gotta be willing to pursue. And that's, that's when I'm inviting God to do more than he's done before, more than he's done before in history and more than he's done before in your life. Some of you are living like your best years are behind you. Some of you, you pray like the best things God's ever done are in the past. And God always wants to do more than he's done before. But we, and so we get trapped, we get stuck in empty living and going through the motions, but Elijah invites Elisha to give up the empty for something significant. In fact, let me just jump back in and read a little bit more. So Elisha left him and went back, and he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. I'm assuming the people were all the people that were depending on him, the people in his household, all of his workers and people that were like part of his business. And what he's saying is, this is over. Now I'm, I'm closing up shop and this is bankrupt. Like everything's done. Like I'm changing career paths here. And so he, he, burn, he uses the cart, sacrifices the, I mean, he burns the cart. He cooks the oxen. He feeds the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And, and so there's this really interesting moment, right? Where Elisha could have had a very comfortable easy um, life as this business owner, but Elijah comes along from the mandate of God and says, I want you to give up everything, come and follow me. So he goes from being a business owner to being a servant. This is important because he doesn't step into it with an expectation of, yeah, God, I'll give up this if you give me more, if you give me better. He's, he's going from being the leader to the follower, from being the owner to, to being a servant. And God, in the story, here's what you get. It's a picture for us of Jesus. Elijah is a little bit like Jesus. Jesus who comes and he gives his life to invite us from empty living into full living. Follow me. God doesn't demand us to follow him. 
Just like Elijah didn't demand Elisha to follow him. He invites him. He says, hey, I'm going to give you an invitation. And Elisha embraces that invitation a little bit like those that responded to Ernest Shackleton's ad. Like, this will probably kill you. It's going to be really dangerous. It's going to be really cold. Months of darkness. And they're like, sign me up. And that's Elisha. Elisha goes, where, where can I sign the dotted line? Let's go. But uh, well, here's what Jesus does. Jesus steps into our world. Why? Because he knew that we were trapped in empty living. Empty living because we are spiritually cut off from God. So our life lacks purpose, meaning, significance. We're just living empty life. And no matter what you do, it never truly fulfills or satisfies. But not only does it not satisfy you, it's, you're not making a difference, right? Like we're just going through the motions, just empty living. And so Jesus comes to rescue us from empty living and more to rescue us from the trap of sin. Sin, being spiritually cut off from God, headed toward a forever destruction, the ultimate emptiness of living forever far from God. And so Jesus comes, he gives his life as the payment for our sin, his life in exchange for the forever judgment we deserve. So Jesus dies in our place to forgive us of sin and give us new and forever life. So anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is not only forgiven, but given this new life. Why? Because Jesus died and he rose again. And in his resurrection, he conquers sin, he defeats death, and he sets us free from eternal judgment so that, so that you have the promise of eternal life. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't, he didn't do everything he did. He didn't come, die on a cross, rise from the dead, just to send you back to empty living, right? To forgive you of sins and then go, yeah, you can just keep doing whatever you were doing. You and I are the Elisha, right? We're plowing in our field and Jesus, the greater Elijah, comes, sees us in our routine, sees us in our ordinary, sees us in our everyday, invites us to step away from the comforts, step away from the safeties of this life and says, come, follow me. And that invitation, however, will cost us everything. And so we're invited by Jesus to give up our way of life for his way of life. And this is the ultimate tension. Follow me. God gives everything. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't work for it. You receive it. But when you receive it, it will cost you everything. It's an invitation to no longer lead, but follow. No longer be the owner, but say, God, you're the owner of everything in my life. And this is why so many people struggle with their faith in Jesus or believing in Jesus, because it's not enough just to believe. Like you're invited that the moment you believe, what you're saying is believing is following. So What's the challenge? Well, you see it in the story. What is Elijah challenged by Elijah to do? By the way, this is hard, right? Because you got to keep up with Elijah and Elisha. And so even when I'm saying it, I have to like be really careful to get it right. But here's the thing. What, what, is, what is the example that you see? Well, God will do more than before when we give our life away. This is the idea of following. God does more than before through Elisha because Elisha is following the example of Elijah who gives his life away. Elisha is invited to kill the oxen, 
to lay down his business, to step away from the farm and follow a prophet as a servant. He gives up position, he gives up power, he gives up influence, he gives up possessions, right? He gives up easy living for difficult following. And what are we invited, how are we invited to give our life away? Well, when you look at Elisha, he gives up his livelihood, he gives up his comforts and safety, what, are, what is the oxen that you may need to offer and sacrifice in your life? What carts have you kept back at home, right? Because Elijah, di Elijah didn't have to destroy it, right? Like he could have just left it there and then followed Elijah. So why did he burn the carts and kill the oxen and serve them? Because he, he was burning the bridge. Now, good business practices don't burn bridges, all right? Except when God is inviting you to take a step of faith and leave the old way of life behind. Anything that's the old way of living, you gotta burn the bridge. Maybe it's a, a, a not a good thing in your life. You gotta burn bridges. Maybe it's an addiction or a, or a bad way of living and you're like, I gotta burn the bridges of those relationships. I gotta cut it off. But others of you, there's good things that God's asking you to give up for the great things of God. Maybe there's a business you've got to walk away from in order to do the business of God. Maybe there's a habit that is good that God is saying, you've got to be willing to give that up for better habits of devotion to me. Maybe there's other things that you know, I don't even have to name it, but in your heart, you're like, yep, that's the area of my life that God is asking me to give away. That's the part of my life that God wants me to surrender to him. In the story, you see 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 16 says this, um, he's speaking to Elijah and he goes, go and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet, right? So, he, so Elijah's responsibility is to give away um, his position to Elisha, to raise up this successor, this young man, he, I'm gonna hand it off to you. And so he's giving his life away. So now we're gonna jump ahead in the story because this is important to help you kind of picture what it looks like to give your life away. As you jump ahead in the story, um, Elisha becomes a servant. He becomes a follower. He, he just is there to support Elijah. But at, when you get to the end of Elijah's life, Elijah doesn't die. Now it's a little bit of a, of a strange story. I mean, to be honest with you, if you're not familiar with this story, if you're reading it, you're like, that's weird. Well, I don't, want to, I don't want to give it all away, but there's some weird things in the Bible. Like some miraculous things. Some, some things that like if you read it on the surface, you're like, what? That happened? Okay, so I'll give you, I'll give you like the little cliff note version. Elijah doesn't die. Like fiery chariots come from heaven and scoop him up. Okay, well, before he gets scooped up into heaven, um, Elijah is following him and... Uh, he's supposed to stay with him and he's supposed to follow, Elisha is supposed to stay with and follow Elijah. So uh, let's jump into that kind of that moment when Elijah is about to be taken. Here we go. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said, I, this is so hard to read. 
Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. And the, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. You just hang out here. That, this is comfortable. This is safe. You stay safe, but I got to keep going. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And so there's this really important element where Elisha refuses to give up. He refuses to take the easy way. He's giving his life away, following the example of Elijah. Now, there's another part to this, because in order to give your life away, God's going to ask something from you. And so the, the, the next key part I really want to kind of stick in your brain is this. God will do more than before when we hold nothing back. Meaning it, it's not just a generic, you got to give your life away. There's some specific things in your life that you're holding back that, that you don't want to give away. This is the idea of going all in. Now, I, I'm not a betting man, and I don't really know a lot about this, but I know that there's this moment where you can go all in. And when you come to faith in God, when you believe in Jesus, it's kind of an all-in bet. See, faith is risk with God involved. And so Elisha is going all in on Elijah and pursuing God's purposes. And, and so Elijah... So, Elijah keeps following Elijah. And finally, Elijah says this, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And so Elisha says, well, here's what I want. I want God to do twice as much in me as he's doing in you. I want a double portion of what God has put on your life. The power, the authority, the influence, the world-changing impact that you've had. I want twice as much of that. And Elijah rightly says, yeah, what you ask is actually pretty difficult. Now, there's kind of a double and tendre there. Uh, it's a difficult thing to ask. It's going to be even a harder thing to live. It's cost me everything. Good luck, Elijah. Now, if you want this, you better be there when God takes me. So Elisha stays with Elijah. And then this crazy moment, it's whirlwind and chariots of fire and something out of a crazy movie, and Elijah disappears. But the mantle, this, this um, blanket or this kind of scarf thing that he was wearing falls off of him. And when Elijah puts it on, the, the anointing and the power and the presence of God comes on him. And so he's, he's, Elijah's gone. He's walking back to the followers of Elijah, and there's a river between them. And so he takes the mantle, and he hits the river, and the river divides, like the Red Sea moment before and, uh, and then Elisha walks up to the people, and they're all watching him. He says this. It's recorded in 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 14. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and the left, and he crossed over. And there's this really powerful moment. And I think that our nation is asking this question. Those around us are asking the question, where now is the Lord, the God of the past? You tell me about this Jesus who loves me and forgives me, but I don't know if I see him at work today. You tell me about miracles that God has done, but I don't know if I see any miracles. You tell me about a God who heals, but where's my healing? You and I are the Elishas. But the only way that God can do what God wants to do through your life is if you will give him all of your life. 
Whatever you're holding back is holding back the work of God. Let me say that again. Whatever you're holding back is holding back the work of God in your life. It's holding you back from making a difference. You think you're holding it back because this is precious, this is important, this matters to me. And meanwhile, what you don't realize is what you're holding back is holding you back from God's best. Elijah had to give his life away. He had to give up position and power and possessions to follow Elijah. But what God had waiting for him was better than before. But the only way you get the better than before from God is if you give your life away and you hold nothing back. So what is it that you've been holding back? What habit are you holding on to? What, what mindset, what attitude, what fear is holding you back? Some of you, maybe it's a belief. There's something about the Bible or Christianity that's held you back. Take a step of faith and just trust God. Maybe there's some lifestyle issue that you're struggling with. You're saying, I, I can't follow God because this thing is holding me back. Yield it to God. Let's be Elisha's for a moment. I'm not gonna let go until I get from, I get that double. God, I, I'm gonna keep pursuing you until I get all of you. And then, man, let's be like the 5,000. Let's see this crazy ad in the paper and like, it's gonna cost you everything. Probably gonna experience bitter cold and months of darkness. You're not gonna get hardly any money out of it. And they're like, sign me up. Let, let's be more like that. What you're getting an invitation into is getting invited into a way of life where God wants to do more than before. But you gotta be willing to give your life away. Hold nothing back. Some of you, what you've been holding back is just simply putting your faith in Jesus. And I'm gonna invite you to take a step saying yes to Jesus because he loves you more than you could ever imagine and he wants more for you than you could ever imagine. He wants to give you true and forever life. And if that's you right now, I'm gonna invite you to, to do more than we would normally ask of you. I mean, that seems like the right thing, right? In this message, I'm gonna ask just for a little bit more so first, I'm gonna ask you, you're at our campuses, even those of you joining online right now, you're gonna close your eyes wherever you're at, but then if you're saying yes to Jesus, whether you're at home or you're at one of our campuses, would you just raise your hand? And again, it's a little weird, right? But a little bit more than before. Would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I, I'm saying yes to Jesus right now. I, I wanna... I'm not just going all in. Like I'm taking a step of faith to truly follow Jesus. And if that's you, would you raise your hand high? And if you're making that commitment, you're saying yes to Jesus, would you text the name Jesus to 81411? But, and, and so whether you're behind a computer or watching on TV or you're at one of our campuses, you got your hand raised. All right, you're taking a step of faith and you're saying yes to Jesus and you're believing in him that he will forgive you and give you new and forever life. Now I'm gonna ask all of you, all of you that are willing, like you're one of those 5,000 is like, sign me up right now. And, and something in you, your heart's racing just a little bit. Maybe you need to raise your hand. That's right, dude, we're asking just for a little bit more. Again, maybe, wherever you're watching from, this is one of your moments, like you raise, okay, I don't know that any of you behind your computer are raising your hand. And so can I just invite you? This is gonna be a little weird. Just raise your hand and say, God, like you're in class, teacher, 
I, I gotta go to the bathroom. This is different. This is, God, I need your attention. God, I'm gonna ask you to do just a little bit more than before. Would you do that with me right now? Again, each of our campuses, maybe just raise a hand. In fact, maybe would you just stand with me right now as I pray. Jesus, with hands raised, we're saying, would you do a little bit more than before? We don't just want the revival that we've heard about in the past. We don't want the miracles of the past. We don't want the healings of the past. We don't want this, just the stories of the past. God, we want you to do a still God story today because you're the still the God of Elijah. You're still the God of Elijah. You're the God who sent your son Jesus to die and rise again. You're the God of the book of Acts. You're the God of the New Testament. You're the God of revival. You're the God of today. God, you're, you're the God who does more than before. And so God, we're saying right here with our hand up, God, that's me. I'm willing to give my life away, even though I, it's a little scary, but I'm going to take a step of faith and say yes to you, Jesus. You see me right where I'm at. And I just want to be part of something significant. There's a, there's a desire in me to not settle for comfort and easy living. There's something in me that says, God, it might cost me a lot. It might hurt and it might be uncomfortable and it might be cold. But I want to make a difference. I want to be part of your story. So I'm raising my hand saying, God, would you do it in me? And would you do more than before? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.